Tragedy hits a movie set as Alec Baldwin accidentally shoots a crew member. Many people, even professing Christians, make jokes about it. We discuss how politics has become a worldview for many professing Christians. And we discuss the Red Letters Only movement. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is The God of Freedom Show. The show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So if you always want to start a podcast but didn't know where to begin, Anchor is for you. Anchor is very simple to use and is also free. All you do is simply record your audio from your phone, computer, laptop, wherever, edit it, and then post it. You can monetize it with sponsorships or donation buttons, or you get a distributed size like a like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it's in a podcast. Excuse me. Check it out at anger.fm or download the app. Again, it's anger.fm or download the app. Alrighty, so we are back. I hope everyone is having so a great week. So we have a lot to get to today, so I'll just jump right into it right here. So a lot of y'all probably, you know, expect me to talk about mostly kind of the news of the week regarding the politics and President Biden and all that in his, like, town hall the other night. I was going to talk about that. But there's a particular news cycle that's been kind of going around that a lot of people have already heard of by now. That just the reaction to it has really just bothered me a good bit. So I just really, I wanted to kind of, for the first part of this episode, I want to focus on that and everything. And kind of make that almost kind of the centerpiece of where I want to take this uh, episode. And so um, the news article I'm talking about... Excuse me. Sorry. Um, so again, the news uh, the second I want to talk about is um, actor Alec Baldwin. So, for those who have not heard about the story yet, so um, Alec Baldwin, you know, he was on a set for a movie called, uh, I think it was Rust. It's apparently like a Western movie or whatever. And uh, tragically, during uh, during filming or during production or whatever. Um, he, of course, with, with this being a Western movie, there'll also be obviously there'll be guns used during the movie, and so I guess they're preparing for a scene or whatever. And then Al Baldwin, you know, had a gun, and um, tragically, um, when he went to you know fire it, it actually shot off a live round, and it killed um, the cinematographer, um, the camerawoman. And, um, I think I shot someone else. I think, I forget who it was. Everything, so. Yeah, so. Again, this is a very, it's a horrible tragedy what happened. And. Obviously, it was, obviously it was an accident. Um, for what I would gather, given that it was the, uh, the cinema photographer that was. Excuse me, I don't know why I'm bullshit. Anyways, um. Again, it was a cinematographer who was shot um, during this accident. So, my guess is is that they were actually filming a scene, or at least they're practicing filming a scene. And if you've seen like kind of a lot of movies with guns, they always have that cool little shot where they have the gun, the kind of pointing towards the camera to get that cool little shot. I mean, there's, there's several movies about it. So, obviously, you know that shot is nothing. Nothing out of the ordinary. So they're probably getting some kind of practice shots or 
after filming the scene or whatever. And when he went to shoot, unfortunately, there was a live round in there. And, I mean, I don't know how. I mean, obviously, police are still investigating what happened. Because it's very strange for it to be a live round inside the gun. And, obviously, this has nothing to do... Al Baldwin had nothing to do with it. Because there was someone on on the side, on the, on the film side, who is in charge of gun safety and all that. Somehow, I don't know how, somehow Live Round got in the mix of it. Because usually with prop guns and movies like that, they use blanks. So, I don't know if the guy, whoever was in charge of that, you know, got that mixed up or something, or and then just put it in, in the gun instead of actual blank, or... Or what? I'm, I'm sure. But again, it was, it was... It's an obvious accident. What happened. And I know Al Baldwin... That's probably feels absolutely terrible what happened. I mean, just seeing kind of the... Photos of him afterwards and just... And just everything. I mean, he's absolutely distraught by it. As anybody would. And when you have something like that happen... Right there, I mean... I mean, that would change you. Unfortunately, he has to live that live with that for the rest of his life. I mean, it's a it's a horrible horrible tragedy what happened, and I mean, it just goes to show you just how you know gun safety is pretty important. It is very important on set. And again, you know, obviously Al Baldwin is not a gun expert or whatever, but again, that was not his job to actually kind of look at the gun. I mean, he's in just I mean, he's an actor, so he he's not in charge of that. There was someone on site who was in charge of gun safety, but obviously failed. And also, this goes to show how important gun safety is. Not gun control, gun safety. Because, you know, in the, in the NRA, many other places are big on gun safety and how to handle firearms or whatever. I mean, sure, maybe Alabama should have handled it a little better. Um, handle the gun a little better, but at the same time, again, it was likely during a practice shot or actually filming the scene. So, and obviously, probably it's a shot to get a live fire, uh, get a fire, get the shot of the gun being fired, and all that. So, but again, regardless, gun safety is pretty important, and you know, film sets need to really get a hold of that get really get a improve gun safety for stuff like this so that stuff like this can't happen anymore because again it's a horrible tragedy what happened and unfortunately it has happened a few times before as as like a live round snuck in there and all that so it's unfortunate very unfortunate that what happened but one other thing, one thing I just kind of, it's really been bothering me about this whole thing is the reactions to it. The reactions to the tragedy that Al Baldwin is going through and the just tragedy of the young, the lady who lost her life during this, during this accident. And it's mostly from people on the conservative side, even professing Christians. They are, like, there's many people making jokes about it, making memes about it, and, you know, making fun of Al Baldwin, and just kind of 
gloated in battle because Al Baldwin is he is a leftist. I mean, he is he is pretty far left, and so because of politics, people are very almost cheering this, almost gloating this like yes he deserves this and everything, and again even from professing Christians. It's it boggles my mind that this, that even professing Christians are participating in this. It's shameful. It's absolutely sickening to me. It's like it's almost like they're like they're wanting him. They're, they're wanting his demise, as if you know they're saying pretty much what's being said is that he deserves being in prison for the rest of his life. He deserves to go to hell for this and everything. It's. I'm sorry. It just it, it bothers. It, it's it's sickening. I mean, I expect you know I expect some non-Christian conservatives to act like this. I mean, even though conservatives in general should know better. But again, non-Christian conservatives, you know, they're of course unregenerate. They're still in the flesh and everything. So it makes sense. It makes sense for them to kind of go that route. But for professing Christians to go that route, it really, it boggles my mind. Because we should know better. We should, absolutely, we should absolutely know better. Which is why I'm using the term professing Christians because I question, I question if they're Christians or not, if they're doing this. And maybe, maybe most of them are actual Christians and they're just Falling into the flesh patterns here. That's probably the case. That probably probably is the case right there. But it's there's no excuse for it, because we are called as Christians to be like Christ. We should not be doing this. We should not be gloating in someone's in a tragedy like this, gloating over someone who you know did this and who's probably very distraught over this. We should not be gloating over this. It's it's a tragic, tragic situation. If a Christian's to be gloating over this is I don't know, it just is evil. It's absolutely evil. And even to the point where they're saying that even like, you know, he deserves to go to hell and all that. Well I got news for you. So do you. I mean, sir, I'm sorry, so do you. And so do I. We all deserve to go to hell. But, by God's grace, he chose, uh, he chose people from before the foundation, for, before the foundation of the earth to be saved. And, if you're a Christian, if you are saved, if you are one of his elect, then you should recognize your sinfulness and how you are no better than Al Baldwin, and Al Baldwin is no worse than you. We all deserve the same punishment, but by God's grace, He chose a certain number of people to be saved. He chose um, if you're a Christian, He He chose you to be saved. So there's absolutely no no excuse for this. No excuse to act like this. In fact, what Christians should be doing 
is praying for him, praying for his salvation. Pray that, pray for his heart. Pray that by God's grace, that he is. Oh my gosh! Hold on one second. Sorry, I'm just bulging a lot for some reason. Anyways, um, I apologize for that. But again, we as as Christians should be praying for his heart and pray by God's grace that he is drawn to him by the Holy Spirit and is saved through Jesus Christ. That's what we should pray. That's that should, what that is what we should be doing, praying for him. Praying, praying, praying that he is, that he repents and, and is fully surrendered to God. Because that's the best thing that could happen in this tragedy. In, in this tragedy, regardless whether or not he goes to jail or whatever, the best thing that could happen to him is to be saved. So we should not, as Christians, we should not be wishing for his demise. We should not be making fun of him. Whatever. Okay, just imagine. Just imagine if you were in his shoes. You're on set, on a set of a movie, and you got a gun. You're thinking, okay, it's, it's, it's a prop gun. It has no lives around, lives, live around in it. And that's, the thing, that's the thing, too. He was told, Al Baldwin was told that there was no live round in it. There was, there was all, all that was in there was blanks. Now, obviously, there wasn't. So, but just imagine that. Imagine that you think you're just shooting the prop gun, you're doing a scene, and all of a sudden, the live ground comes out of there and shoots the person in front of you. Um, just imagine if you were in his shoes. It's a hor- it's a horrible, horrible experience. I bet. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what he's going through right now. So, again, we should not, as Christians, we should not be gloating in it. We as, we, as Christians, are called to be like Christ. We are not called to be like the world. The world belongs to Satan. Is, their father is the devil. But as children of God, he, God is our father. He is our father. And we are under his rule and his authority, and we should obey him. And part of his commandments is to be like Christ. It is to be not is not to conform to this world, to be apart, be set apart from it. So, real quick, let's go to Romans chapter twelve and verse two. So, Romans chapter twelve, starting. With, Starting from verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God is that what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we are not to, not to be part of the world. We're not, we're not to be conformed to this world. We are, be, we are to be conformed to God's will. To his will, to obey him, to obey his, to obey, to obey his commandments. That's what we are called to do. We are called to love him, not the world. Let's, now let's go to First John chapter 2. 
verse 15. So 1 John chapter 2, starting from verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful, and the boastful, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So we are not to be conformed to the world. We're not to, to love the world. Again, as John says here, the world is full of lust, idolatry, and all of that. And we, so we are called to be to not love the world. If we love the world, we're, the, the love of the Father is not in us. Because this world is passing away. As the scripture says, so, but, if we're a part of Christ, if we follow him, then we are, we are, we are going to live forever. And part of being a part of Christ is following his commandments and being apart from the world. Not isolating, but we're going to, we still got to live in the world, but we are not to be part of it. That, that's, that's a distinction we got to make. We're not, we're not supposed to be kind of isolated in our bubbles or whatever. We gotta live in the live in the world, but not of it. So that's why things like this, when I see professing Christians participating in the just the ridicule the ridicule of someone is it boggles my mind. And they should be ashamed of themselves and they should repent. They should repent of their sins and turn back to God. Because what they're doing is not, it's not of Christ. It simply isn't. We're called to be different. We're not called to be like the world. It's as simple as that. Alright, so I'm going to continue on with this um, episode in just a little bit with an, a few other topics. But first, got to go over to YouTube or the God of Freedom Ball to check it out. So not only get the rest of this episode regarding... And to get into how politics has gotten, gotten into, sorry, has become a worldview for many professing Christians, but and also talking about the red letters only movement, and also the good stuff ambassador of the week. And remember, you can find the show on a podcast, Spotify, or wherever listen to podcasts. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. This is the God of Frame Show. Alright, so let's continue on right here. So, kind of staying on the same path I was on with this previous topic about Alec Baldwin. Um, I want to talk about kind of how politics has become a world of view among many professing Christians. How it's taken over the biblical worldview we're supposed to have. And it's now worldview is now centered upon politics. Because that is kind of the situation that's happened with Al Baldwin. Because the biggest reason why people make fun of him, even, profess, even profess, professing Christians, is because he's a leftist. Because he is anti, you know, anti-Second Amendment and all that. 
ultimately it doesn't matter in this situation. But that's what that's what has happened. That's why people are making fun of him because of, because of politics. Because politics has become a world of view. It's become an idol to many people, to many professing Christians. And let me just make this disclaimer right here. I'm not saying it's bad to follow politics. <laughs> Obviously, I do it. I talk about politics on this show. So, so there's nothing wrong with paying attention and staying informed about this. In fact, we should be informed. We should be informed about what's happening in the world, what's happening in our country. We should be paying, paying attention so we can so we can prepare. But as professing Christians, we are to view it through the lens of Scripture. So we can properly discern what is right, what is wrong, and all that, while maintaining a biblical worldview. But, thing is, it does cross a line when politics, instead of becoming a thing we see, we look at, we pay pay attention to, looking through a biblical worldview, it crosses a line when it becomes a worldview. When it becomes our worldview slash an idol. And look, I'm speaking from experience. Politics, for a little bit, was an idol. Pretty much an idol for me. I mean, I pretty much, that's all I paid attention to. For a while, I did not go get into the word. I did not pray or anything. I was mostly focused on politics. And you kind of see that. Um... Because look, at the, I mean, the title of my show is called The God of Dream Show. But for the first, the first good bit, I mean, the vast majority of my episodes are pretty much all about politics. Hardly anything about God, hardly anything about scripture or anything. And, and so, for me, it was an idol, pretty much. And had I had to repent of that. And that's why I've kind of shifted the show to make it, to not only view it through a biblical worldview, but make that kind of almost the biggest priority. That's why within the last few episodes, I mean, really the first 20 minutes, it's just about politics, while the rest is about some kind of theological viewpoint or about church culture or whatever. It's something to do with with the faith with theology and all that and so I mean so I know what it's like to get really tied into this because it is, it is it can be frustrating but it can also be fun to get, be fun it is it is it can be fun to get into the kind of political stuff and all that and again, it's not, again, it's not the wrong with learning about it. It's not the wrong paying attention, but we should be careful not to make it an idol, not to make it our worldview. But, and a lot of people kind of almost seem shocked when people say politics has become an idol for many Christians. But the thing is, politics can absolutely become an idol. There's no question about that. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. It can it, it absolutely can't become an idol, and it is an idol for many professing Christians. And I, I'm speaking to Christians, and right I'm not speaking to 
anyone who is I'm mean, if anyone who is not a Christian is listening to this, I'm not talking about you really. I'm talking about professing Christians who have made politics, whether you're left or right, have made politics an idol. And I understand I understand you're gonna know, want to be informed and you kinda of like politics or whatever. But here's the thing. Regardless of it, regardless of what what you believe about politics, regardless of how important you think a topic is, regardless of how much you love a guy, how much you love Trump, how much how much you love Biden, or whatever, it is an idol. An idol is an abomination to God. Christian need, Christians need to understand this. An idol, no matter what it is, is an abomination to God, by all accounts. So let's go to scripture real quick. Let's go to first Exodus chapter twenty. So Exodus chapter 20, starting from verse 2. So this is the um, the Ten Commandments right here that um, the God has revealed to Moses. So here's what it says, starting from verse 2. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the, and out of the house of slavery. You shall, you shall not, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them them or serve them, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth gener- generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to the thousands to those who love me. And it had my commandments. So obviously this is like the first commandment right here. That, you know, God, he is our Lord. He is our God. And we should not make an, make an idol out of anything. Whether it's in a person, an animal, an object, or whatever. We should not make an, we, we cannot make an idol of it. I mean, that is the first commandment. So obviously he was very adamant about that. And unfortunately, as we saw later in Exodus, the idiot, I mean, all right, I, I got to go off for a second right here because I'm recently, I'm going through um, Jeremiah right now on my kind of personal study. So I recently went through uh, Jeremiah, uh, sorry, no, Jeremiah uh, chapter 44 and talking about how this is when the Hebrews, the Jews who were in Judea after um, give Babylon and, and King and the King Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel and took over Jerusalem. There's still some Jews living in Judea, and you know they decided they were going to go to Egypt to be safe and all that. And um, God, through Jeremiah, warned them, saying. Do not go to the land of Egypt. Instead, you know, stay here, repent of your sins, and follow me. 
Otherwise, you will face my judgment. And and Jeremiah uh, told them this and everything. And these people openly said, saying, no, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to follow who we want to follow. We're going to worship who we want to worship. And we're going and you can deal with it. We're going to do what we want. I mean, what utter fools. Like I was absolutely mind boggled when I went through that. Cause again, this is after, this is after, um, Babylon took over Jerusalem. And the reason why that happened in the first place, because the people of Israel rebelled against God, turned to idols, and refused to repent. God warned them through Jeremiah over and over and over again to repent, and they refused to. And here they are again, doing the same thing. And as we saw, God is good on following his promises, and they face his judgment. So, and as we saw here in Exodus, well, I believe it's in Exodus, I forget, I'm pretty sure it is, but at some point, obviously, we had the golden calf situation, where the people of Israel got impatient with Moses to be on the mountain, and they made an idol out of a golden calf and worshipped him as God who led them out of uh, led them out of Egypt. Hello, did they somehow did did they somehow forget the plagues that happened in Egypt, the fire tornado that happened, the sea splitting apart? Did they somehow forget about that? I mean, that's I'm mean, sorry, I, I just had to rant on that for a second because it just that's really boggling my when I read that in Jeremiah. But then again, I reminded that. I've done the same exact thing before. Pretty much everybody has. Everybody's done that exact, exact same thing. Which just tells you just how much we, like I don't deserve his grace, his mercy or anything. But he gave it anyways. Which is, which is it, that's what makes it so amazing right there. That's what makes God so amazing that he, through his mercy, he saved the fact that he saved anyone, the fact that he saved one person to Jesus Christ is amazing in itself. But anyways, back to the idols. Which, again, so that obviously, idol worship was a big thing. It's a big thing for God. And that's a big reason why Israel, again, suffered with so many ups and downs. Because they, they repeatedly disobeyed God rebelled against him, and followed idols. I mean, it's it's a crazy thing. So now let's go to Psalm 16, chapter 4, or sorry, Psalm 16, verse 4. All right, so Psalm 16, verse 4. 
Okay, anyway, sorry, yeah, anyways, um, yeah, Psalm 16, verse 4. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 2. Sorry, Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 12. Then the cities of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry go and cry to other gods to whom they burn incense, but they surely will not but, sh- but they surely will not save them in the time of their disaster. For your gods are as many as your cities, O Judah. And as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to the shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or pray for them, for I will not listen when they shall call to me because of their disaster. So... Again, obviously, God is a big, very stickler on idols, and for good reason. Because he is the only true God. And when people, especially his people, disobey that and rebel against him to follow other gods, he rightfully gets angry about it. And even then, they we somehow have the audacity to cry back to him when, um, cry back, call back to him. When disaster comes, um, that's how, um, that's our sin nature. That's that that is our nature, as sinful human beings. So now let's go to Romans chapter one, starting from verse eighteen. So Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 18, and we'll end off in verse 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and are unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incredible God for an image in the form of a cr- of credible men and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over, over in, their, in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored. dishonored. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, 
who is blessed forever. Amen. So again, idol worship is a big deal. It is, again, as a divine mission to God. And that's why he gives over, he gives, gives us over to our lusts, to our sins, because, because the thing is, we know, we know about God. We know God exists. We know his attributes. But our sinful nature, we completely, we naturally disobey him and want to follow our own gods, our own idols. And because of that, he gives, gives us over to our sins as as judgment. So it's only by the grace of God that people can be saved from that. So again, anything, anything become idols. Anything can become an idol. And politics is no different. So Christians need to be careful with it in this area. We cannot we cannot follow <clears throat> in this in this footsteps, we cannot make politics an idol. In fact, we are called to flee from idols. So let's go to First Corinthians chapter ten, verse fourteen. So again, First Corinthians chapter ten, verse fourteen. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. I passed it. There it goes. What was it? Chapter 5, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh of the flesh are evil, which are immorality, immorality impurity, Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enemies, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, uh, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let's go to um, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5. So, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, finally, let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Again, um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 41. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So again, scripture is replete of warnings about fleeing from um, from idolatry. Because again, idolatry, as it says in uh, Galatians, those who practice idolatry will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So that's why we got to be careful. And if anything becomes an idol, we should immediately repent of it and turn back to God for it. Because, again, we, we if it happens, and when it goes unrepented, we would not inherit the kingdom of God because likely if we follow idols and we do not, we do not repent of it, we're likely not saved in the first place. It's as simple as that. So that's why we got to be careful with this. We got to be careful with politics. Again, there's nothing wrong with paying attention. There's nothing wrong with staying informed. But we got to be careful about making it an idol. We got to be careful about putting our trust in all these politicians and like Trump and um, Biden and Kamala Harris and Dr. Fauci and Ron DeSantis and, uh, Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, whoever. Because here's the thing. <clears throat> They're all sinners. Like us, they are, they are all sinners. So we as Christians should not hope in them. We should not be put our trust and hope in them. Because, look, Trump cannot save us. Biden cannot save us. Dr. Fauci cannot save us. Um... Ron DeSantis cannot save us. Gavin Newsom cannot save us. Andrew Cuomo cannot save us. Um, John Jr. cannot save us. Tucker Carlson cannot save us. Um, QAnon cannot save us. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, cannot save us. Nothing. Only one, Only Jesus Christ can save us. By God's grace, only Jesus Christ can save us. So that's why um, in Psalm 146, verse 3, we're given this warning. So let's go there real quick. So again, Psalm 146, 3. Do not trust in princes and mortal man in whom there is no salvation. There is no salvation in mortal man. There still isn't. They cannot, we, mortal, man, mortal man cannot save us. That's why it's kind of crazy to me that some people who call themselves Christians, even though they're not, Say that Jesus was a created being. He was just a man like us. And everything. If Jesus was, just, was a man like us. Who. Had the same flaws as us. We. Everybody. Will be going to hell. Everybody will be going. To hell for that. Because. If, you, if Jesus sinned. If Jesus was just a normal man. Like all. Like us. We would have no hope. But Jesus was not just a man. He was also God. He was God in flesh. And he did not sin. That, that's why we can be saved through him. And through him only. Because we cannot be saved through Allah. Or Allah. We cannot be saved through Buddha. Or any other false god. Any other false religion. We cannot be saved through that. Only through Jesus Christ. 
as it says, as he says himself in John chapter 14. Verse 16. Sorry, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the, Jesus said to, them, to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let me repeat that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Only through Jesus Christ. So, that's why we cannot put our trust in man. We cannot put our trust and hope in politics because it cannot save us. In fact, it will doom us to eternal punishment. That's why Christians, we Christians, need to stay in the Word, stay in prayer, be informed, but continue to stay in the Word and continue to stay in prayer to God and view everything through a biblical worldview. Alrighty, so the final topic I want to get to in this episode is the Red Letters Only Amendment. Or Red Letter Christians. So you're probably wondering, what the heck is this? What is like, What are you talking about? Are you just like making this up or whatever? And look, I mean, I recently just were learning about this myself. I like really look into it, and it's pretty crazy. It's it's a really weird movement within Christianity, or Christianity. Really, I mean, I. They are, they call themselves Christians, but I do question that. So, um, so I'm going to read an article kind of really explaining what this is. So, the website I'm at is called Got Questions. So, Got Questions is actually a really, really good source for biblical answers. And, I mean, what you can do is you can go there, like, ask a question... Or you can look up questions already asked, because there's been a lot of questions that I had that have already been asked, and they have entire articles talking about it. It is very solid, and I mean they're 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 good. They they really dig down into the Word of God and really seek out to give correct biblical answers, and it it is a Reformed Calvinist site as well, so, so that that does help. Good bit, but anyways, you know they do have an article talking about red letter Christians or kind of the red letter only movement. So here's what it says: the name red letter Christians refer to the refers to the words of Jesus, which are printed in red in many editions of the New Testament. Red letter Christians are a group of liberal Christians whose desire is to counter the political influence of conservative, conservative Christians. In the past 30 years, the voice of e evangelical Christianity has been fairly prominent in the political process, much to the chagrin of secularists, non-evangelicals, and liberal Christians. As conservative Christians networked in such groups as 
the Moral Majority, the Christian Coalition, and American Values, popular figures within liberal Christianity began to feel disenfranchised. They deemed their faith to have been hijacked by the religious right. Excuse me. Framers of the Red Letter Movement include Jim Wallace, founder of Sojourners Magazine, Shane Claiborne, an activist and leader in the new Monasticism Movement, Richard Rohr, a known a well a well known Catholic writer, who's also big into the New Age and Enneagram and all that, but that whole thing is a topic topic for another day. I should really talk about that actually, because it is the the New Age movement and Enneagram and all that. It's a big problem within Christianity, but again, I'll I'll get to that in, at uh, at some point in this podcast, probably not next week, but in the later episode, or whatever. But anyways, um. Continuing on, Brian McLaurin, an emergent, an emergent uh, church leader, and Tony Campalo, a popular speaker and write and author of Red Letter Christians, a Citizen's Guide to Faith and Politics. These men desire to counter the voice of evangelicalism in the political world. The group chose the name for a couple reasons. First, first to stress that his political philosophy is based on Jesus' teachings, a what-would-Jesus-do approach, approach to government policy. Second, to appear apolitical and appealation. Red, um, to the appealation read a lot of Christians avoids the political connotations of, of, of labels such as liberal and progressive, and it facilitates the group's claim that it transcends politics. Of course, the founding of Red Letter Christian, of the Red Letter Christian movement, has was politically motivated, and, and the organization is inherently political as it supports various liberal government policies. Red Letter Christians resent that what they see as the religious rights fixation on abortion and homosexual rights. Since Jesus did not deal with the, those issues, two issues, they say we should not make them more urgent than other issues instead. Instead, red letter Christians focus on political policies affecting pro- affecting poverty, global warming, racial discrimination, the role of the military, capital punishment, foreign aid, and public ed- education. Red Letter Christians believe the moral values should be a major subject of dialogue within American politics, but that conservative Christians have embraced the wrong values. Red Letter Christians seek to redefine moral roles, moral roles according to an interpretation of Jesus, Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mound and other Red Letter passages. They plan to spread their message via websites, blogs, candidates, forums, debates, and print of voter guides. All politics aside, there are some problems problems associated with the with the red letter Christian movement. The first concerns of the groups. Uh, the first concerns the groups open theology, bring together various faith backgrounds, is very tolerant and progressive, but theologically unintendable. Founders of the movement. 
include those who believe we must earn a way to heaven and those who distrust, distrust the expiration of the word of God. So the second involves the group's um, peace, piecemeal approach to scripture. To consecrate on certain points of the Bible is to the exclusion of others is unbalanced and dangerous. All scripture is breathed is God breathed. Uh, that's Second Timothy three sixteen. Uh, the epistles, for example, were written were written to instruct us on the practical outworking of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' teaching, and are just as inspired as, as Jesus' own words. Paul's words should not be considered inferior, as the term brother Christian splot applies. A third problem relates to the interpretation of Jesus' words. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was not trying to write national government policy. He was presenting himself as the fulfillment of New Testament law and the Savior from, and the savior from sin for all who will believe in him. He clearly separated himself from all political movements, uh, paradigms, and... When he, when he said, "My kingdom is not of this world," John eighteen thirty six. While it is true that Jesus was neither a Republican or nor a Democrat, we need public discussion on on, on all moral values, not just not just abortion or uh, not just abortion and homosexuality. We must handle God's word honestly and guard against those who undermine this sufficiency of Scripture. And the sacrifice of Christ. So that is a nutshell, um, kind of the red letter Christian movement. And in summary, I mean, the red letter Christian movement is, by all accounts, a political movement. It's, um, they, as it says in the name. They only read things that Jesus Jesus said. So let's kind of give some examples of this real quick. So one video I want to go to. Um, this was kind of a little a video conference conference that happened recently. This is a man. Uh, didn't give us a name, but he's a a pastor who gave this um he made this very interesting statement in a video conference um recently. Here's what he said: Is is it, it it commits the same the, the same theological scandal that the Protestant reformers commit, and this is the scandal: the Protestant reformers do not recover the gospel of Jesus Christ; they recover Pauline theology. And 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 and, and let me say this: um, I love Jesus. I tolerate Paul. I, I approach Paul with a hermeneutic of suspicion. I love Jesus. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and and so and, and so again yeah so he said I love Jesus but I tolerate Paul and that the scandal of many reformed Christians today is that they don't follow the gospel they follow Pauline theology or whatever that means I, I just want to say, I love Owen Strand's The Guy in the Middle, uh, guy named Owen Strand, who also got the privilege to see it at G3 as well. 
but I love his reaction when like he said, "I, t- I love Jesus, but I tolerate Paul." I mean, I mean that that that's my reaction to that when I first heard it. It's, I mean, that's that's crazy stuff right there. That's insane stuff. I love Jesus, but I tolerate Paul. I mean, come on. I don't even, I don't even know what the heck Pauline theology, whatever that means. But I'll get to kind of that whole mindset in a little bit. But another thing I want, uh, another post I want to get to. This is a tweet by Pennyless Church. And they have, you know, again, they haven't learned the name church, and I don't know if their actual church might be just a like kind of a Twitter page or whatever. But they're talking about the Red Letter Bible, which is a Bible you can get that is just the words of Jesus, which is pretty, that's really interesting. But anyways, here's what the tweet says. It has a picture of the Red Letter Bible, and he says, This is a red letter Bible, the words of Jesus Christ, printed in red for easy reference. There are millions of Christians in the USA, often called a Christian nation, anyone, seeing the Christ's words only. We should do, we should, we do, what should we do with refugees? So, I mean... That's a weird tweet, nonetheless, but... I mean, this is the mindset of many in this movement that the only words we should focus on is the words of Jesus. Only the red letters. And... This is not... I'm not trying to dumb down what Jesus said at any point. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm going to do the exact opposite, actually. But whenever you see someone say, I'll, I'll only, I'll only, "I only read what's in red," what they actually what they actually are saying is that they only read what's in red. What makes them feel good? What what makes them comfortable? And that ben- something read what benef- benefits them. So. Most of the time, when you see someone who's a red letter Christian, a lot of times they'll point to sections where Jesus said, "Go help the poor and, and all that, help widows and all that." So they'll, even then, they're cherry picking things that Jesus said. A lot of times, they're ignoring a lot of his stuff on judgment, hell, sin. Most of the time, they're completely ignoring what he said, what he says in Revelation. That's completely gone out the door. So it's all these kind of feel-good verses that's being picked out. These feel-good, oh, like Jesus, Jesus is my Jesus. Jesus is all about love, 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 kind of thing. Which is pretty incredible that they call themselves Christians because that's the exact opposite of Christianity. In fact, the Red Letter Christian Movement is a political movement. It is not, they did not preach the gospel. Not at all. They, they are a political movement. They are not spreaders of the gospel. Because they, they preach a false gospel. They, they, preach, they preach the social gospel. And 
And this it kind of this goes back to what I was talking about last week, talking about kind of the mission of Jesus Christ and like who he is and everything. And it's a kind of prime example because look, what you think about Jesus, like what you th- like who you think he is and what you think his mission was determines your entire your entire uh theology. If you believe that Jesus was the kind of sort of revolutionary who came to destroy the patriarchy, then you'll likely get to this point, to the red letter movement. Because I'm not going to even say Christian, because they are not Christians. They're simply not Christians. Anyone who tries to throw away parts of scripture, ignore most of scripture, and all that, they're not True falls of Christ. I'm sorry, but simply not. Because, again, Christ was not a social revolutionary. Christ came to save... Sorry. Christ did not come to save society. He came to save sinners. That is what he came to do. He came to save sinners. Not society. And... There's a lot of professing Christians or professing people who say they love Jesus, but they don't. They need to get that through their heads. That Christ did not come to save society. He came to save sinners. And again, if you find yourself ignoring most of scripture because you see God as mean, you see Paul as mean or whatever, and only uh, only pay attention to, to the kind of the stuff that Jesus said that makes you feel good. Well, I'm sorry, you're ne- you're you're not a follower of Christ. It's as simple as that. You simply aren't. Because that is not the gospel. Jesus did not come to make you feel comfortable. He did not come to to better yourself. To make yourself like oh like I'm already a good person, but Jesus came to make me even better and all that. No. He came to pluck you out of the world, because you were dead in sin, we were dead in sin, we cannot save ourselves, who were on our way to eternal damnation, but through, through God's grace, Jesus chose to save, he came to save his elect. He came to save sinners. And those who repent and put a trust in him will be saved and will receive eternal life. That was his mission. And if we ignore that, anyone who ignores that is not a Christian. It's as simple as that. We cannot ignore what's in Scripture. We cannot just cherry pick what's in Scripture. So let's go to Scripture. So let's first go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. So Colossians chapter 3, verse, what's that, 16? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
Sing it with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now let's go to First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. So again, First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. For this reason, we const- we also constantly thank God. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in in you who believe. So this is actually pretty important to set up um, the next passage when I want to get to. Because when when it says, when Paul says that you heard from us, it's actually... The words they said, the words they wrote down, is to be considered the word of God. So, now let's go to Second Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. Starting with verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So notice it says all of script, all scripture. And when it says all scripture, it means all scripture. So real, so real quick, I want to kind of break down of what this passage means. So, at the beginning here, it says all, um, all scripture is inspired by God. So, inspired by God, it comes, it comes from the Greek word, sorry, the Greek adjective, theo, theo, uh, neustos, theo neustos, something like that. I'm not a great scholar, but I'll probably put the word actually on the screen so you kind of see what it is, what actually, what the word says. Everything, but theonustos um, can also be translated to uh, breathed out, meaning that all scripture is breathed out by God. So if you go to like, uh, for example, the ESV, to um, to the of an NLT and many other translations, uh, it says all scripture is breathed out by God, or God breathed. So it means the same thing. It may have it may have different warning, but inspired by God, and you know breathed out by God or God breathed, it comes from the same word. It's just kind of translated differently and all that, but it means the exact same thing. And so when it says all scripture again, it means all, all <laughs> to break down all. All comes from the Greek adjective pas, which simply means everything. So all of scripture, every single New Testament and Old Testament is scripture. That's why First uh, Thessalonians uh, two three right two thirteen was important to kind of read before this because obviously when when what Paul says that the words you hear from us, like the words that are written down by them or spoke by them, are the word of God. It is the word of God. Not word of men, the word of God. So, 
Obviously, the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, is scripture. It's all in all, and it's all inspired by God. It is all divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, to to kind of further support this, let's go to Hebrews chapter four, verse verse twelve. This back. Come on. So Hebrews chapter twelve, sorry, chapter four, verse twelve. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of, of both points, and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and tensions of the heart. So now let's go to James 1, verse 21. So it's James 1, verse 21 through 22. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and, and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted into which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves, approve, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude, them, delude themselves. And also the word is referring to is the word of God. The scriptures. So, obviously, again, all of scripture. All of scripture is divine. Sorry about that. All of scripture is divinely inspired by God. So we cannot, we cannot pick and choose what we like in scripture, what makes us feel comfortable and all that. We simply cannot. Is that is a big problem with um, many in the pro- progressive Christ- Christianity movement? They cherry pick certain things from Scripture to support their movement, and there are many other Christians not not just progressive movement, but many Christians Christians that do this too, and it's a bad habit, and we need to re- we need to repent of that. And we got to realize we got to get get deep down into the word, even into the places that make us con- uncomfortable, that that convict us, which is a good thing. People see convicting as a kind of a a taboo thing, a very kind of bad thing, or when pastors kind of con- say something that convicts you, they get very un- uncomfortable and kind of bash the pastor for saying such a thing. But in reality, it's good to be convicted. It's good to be convicted for like something like for a sin you're committing. That's a good thing. That is God convicting you and trying to push you. And I don't think they push is the right word, but trying to lead you to repentance. So conviction is a good thing. That's why we should read all the word, not just kind of the things that make us control. And let me just be frank right here. If you don't love love God's word, if you don't like God's word because it's too mean or anything, well, guess what? You don't love Christ. If you don't, if you hate Paul and everything, if you hate Paul, 
and don't like what he says, if you don't like what the New and the Old Testament, what God did, and everything, you don't love Christ. You don't love Jesus. And I'll go a step forward further. If you hate Christ's church, if you hate fellow Christians, you don't love Jesus. Simple as that. Christians, we are to be, we need to stay in the Word. We need to stay in the Word, be doers of it, not just hearers, and stop cherry-picking. The Word of God is not a gumball machine. We don't just put a cord in there and pick out something, you know, something good that we want. Every, every scripture is inspired by God, and we need to be in it. It's simple as that. So that's why this red letter movement is heresy. And it's a false gospel. And people, Christians, need to stay away from it. <laughs> because they present, present themselves as some kind of cool, good movement. Because they're focused on Jesus only. But that's not the case. They're focused on their version of Jesus, not the Jesus. They are a false religion. Is it a fault, and they preach a false gospel. So stay away from it, and go back to the Word of God, to to the real Jesus, to the gospel. It's simple as that. <clears throat> all right. So that is all for the topics of topics of this episode. So now let's uh, continue on uh, going through the Book of Acts. There real quick. So we are in Acts chapter 11. And so, kind of give you background what's been happening within the last couple of chapters. So, again, there was a Roman secretary named uh, Cornelius who was visited by an, by an angel to go find uh, Simon Peter. And he did so. And Simon Peter then... Um, preached the gospel to him, and you know, Cornelius was in, ended up being saved. And also, um, Simon Peter ended up preaching the gospel to many others, many other Gentiles in the area, and a lot of them were saved as well. And now, kind of moving into chapter eleven, the kind of his you know fellow po- fellow apostles, you know, kind of, who were all Jews, kind of got word of this and kind of, kind of almost angry with Peter for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, because they saw as the gospel as something that was just for the Jews. But it turns out that's not the case. The gospel was not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles as well. And Peter rebuked them. And then, of course, they, they ended up repenting of that and rejoiced in it. Rejoiced that the Gentiles were saved as well. So last we thought was in um, verse 18. So we're going to be continuing on in um, verse 19. And we're going to be finishing, um, we're going to be stopping in verse 26 around there. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in the connection with Stephen made their way to uh, Phoenicia um, and Cyprus and Antioch. 
Antioch or whatever, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some, but there were some of them, who men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, Antioch, and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church in, at Jerusalem, and then they sent Bar Barnabas off to Antioch. Antioch, sorry. Then he, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with, um, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of, and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tar Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he, found, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were called, first called Christians in Antioch. So this is kind of where um, <clears throat> Christians were started to be called Christians. There's also kind of more background to that anyways, but anyways. So we have here Christians who who started to be scattered due to persecution, kind of fleeing to different regions um, outside of Israel. And obviously when they get to those regions... They still continued on preaching the gospel and everything. And not only were some Jews uh, saved, but also Gentiles saved. So at this point, um, the, the gospel is going, spreading like wildfire within the Gentiles. Now, so we've got this guy named Barnabas who was, you know, rejoicing in this and ended up going, um, eventually going to find Paul, who's then called Saul. And brought in there, and this is eventually kind of how kind of Paul started to kind of learn about the stuff and everything, and eventually which led him to become an apostle himself, which led him to start really pushing the gospel to a lot of the world. Because obviously Paul was a big kind of push to get the gospel into the Gentile regions. So, <clears throat> so it's pretty cool. It's really cool. To go through this, it's kind of see how the early church started. Kind of how, just how fast the gospel really spread. Um, this is how the Holy Spirit works. It's really cool to see how, how this works. And I can't wait to see, see it continue. Alright, so now let's get to the gift of the week. So some gifts of the week, I do ha have a couple of them. So... Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about is Cobra Kai. So Cobra Kai is a um, Netflix show, and it's kind of a sequel series to the Karateka series, the original Karateka series. And first off, it is actually a really good series. They really kind of like Creed. They stick to kind of the kind of the heart of the original story, and. They don't ruin the characters like a certain other franchise. Standing out, obviously, far away. And everything. 
hint, hint. But anyways, um, th this, but this series is different. They stay true to the heart, heart of the story, original storyline again. So they have um, three already three seasons are already out. So now they're about to release uh, season four coming in late December. So here's actually a little bit of the trailer for it right here. Many of us used to be enemies, but rivalries don't need to last forever. The All Valley Tournament is just a few months away. The stakes are higher than they've ever been. We know that Cobra Kai is gonna use every dirty trick in the book. There's only one way we're gonna be able to beat them. Kicking their asses so hard, they shit themselves. They strike first. We'll pre-strike. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're gonna take back the valley. Take it back in a measured and organized approach. We bite first. They're not the only ones teaming up. If you would have told me a year ago that our family's safety depended on winning a karate tournament, I would have thought you were joking. Here we are. Living in the Twilight Zone. So yeah, I mean, I'm not going to kind of get into spoiler, spoilers too much. I mean, I know the trailer is kind of spoilers going on. But anyways, I mean, the series is really good. And and just kind of, kind of storyline where it kind of goes to is pretty interesting. And it's pretty cool to kind of see, you starting to see Daniel and Johnny actually work together. Um, and we'll really see this in this season, so I can't wait to see what it, I can't wait to see this season, because it's, it's going to be really good. And again, it comes out, I think, December 31st of this year. Alright, so another thing I want to kind of um, talk about real quick is some... Um, Star Wars news that came out today. So, um, if you recall, going back to this um, prequel series, um, the guy who played Anakin, um, Hayden Christensen, who kind of got mis mixed reactions. Some people loved him, some people li didn't like him at all. I did like him as Edward Anakin. The script could have been better, but I don't think it really had nothing to do with him. It had to do more, more with the script. But... Um, but he he was good at Anakin, good as Anakin, but anyways, um, he was actually um, if you recall, a couple months back or so, um, there was some news that came out that he was going to be reprising his role as um, Darth Vader in um the Obi Wan series, so he's going to probably be in a suit and probably some and some flat tracks as well. Well, also as predicted, kind of by me and a lot of people. He's actually now going to be in the Ahsoka series as Anakin Skywalker. So likely he's going to be on the Force Ghosts because Ahsoka is going to be set after the events of Return of the Jedi and everything. So that's going to, that's going to be really good because, again, the, the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka was just really well done. And just kind of, it came to a bitter end in Rebels when we, when we saw both Vader and Ahsoka fighting each other and everything. It was really tragic, so it'd be, really, it'd be really cool to kind of see them both kind of rekindle their relationship and kind of um, see how Anakin guides her on her journey and everything. It's going to be really cool, because we don't know 
much about Ahsoka, you know, and what happened to her after the Rebel series, which kind of ends around the time of Return of the Jedi. So it'd be really cool to see this. And thankfully, with the Ahsoka series, um, Dave Filoni is behind it. So it, it was, it's going to be good. <laughs> I mean, because Dave Filoni is excellent. He's really, he loves Star Wars. And he, so far, has not done anything better with it. All of his stuff, like Clone Wars, Rebels, Mandalorian, all that is has been really good. Alright, so then that's all I have for this episode. I'll be back here next week with all the latest. My name is John Clinton, and this is the God of Freedom Show. If you enjoy this episode of the God of Freedom Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find the show on our podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening and watching, and as always, all glory to be to God.